So we just finished our teaching series. I'm just going to keep going in the hope that uh, it's fine. It's fine. Next, okay. So the uh, slight departure. So the father series that we've been running is going to finish here uh, next week in Seaford. And uh, but uh, we had a. <laughs> I don't know if you picked this up, but we had the Bishop of Lewis speaking in Eastbourne last week, which made us legit for one week, which was great. <laughs> And, uh, but actually what was quite amusing about this, that we had no idea that the Bishop of Lewis was coming to speak until about two days earlier than that. And, uh, and so we suddenly found out he was, apparently it was arranged in the diary. It's just that no one had actually written it down in the diary. And uh, we accidentally found out that the Bishop of Lewis was coming, and, uh, which is very fortunate that we did find out. But uh, he it could have been very awkward on the day. And uh, who's that man with a big pointy hat at the back? And uh, he's great. And it was just lovely, amazing hearing him preach. A spirit-filled, godly man uh, on the same journey, absolutely partnered together. And uh, it was great having him with us. What has that happened? It's just that it's just altered the teaching series a little bit because we weren't quite expecting him uh, last week. So your father's series, which was going to be finished possibly this week, is now going to be finished next week. But anyway, that's why I'm here. And I want to be talking a little bit about something called uh, the Discipleship Roadmap, uh, the journey that I think we are on as a church. I'll be coming back again this at the end of this month to talk a little bit more of what does, does that actually look like. But some of you, as we get into that, some of you will find this hard to believe, but I was a child of the 70s. No. I, okay. And that was the time before computers. The ZX Spectrum had not been invented. Uh, it's time before computer games, although we were one of the first to get an Atari. Beep. 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 Beep, 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 beep. Atari games. An Apple product was something that you ate. Uh, there was no such thing as Wi-Fi. There was no such thing uh, as the Internet. <laughs> I've got a time on here. My daughter from South Africa has just texted me, so I've got a little bit distracted. I won't reply. Um, but television did happen. Uh, we had uh, Mr. Ben, uh, Bagpuss, Wacky Races. Six million dollar man was, was, was my favorite. Okay. And some of you are going, we have no idea what you're on about. It was, no, it was just no idea. Some of you are way too old to remember some of this, and some of you like not been born for a couple of decades. And it was an era that you could grow up in, in where you only had to have a bath as a child one time a week. That was like the night before school. Uh, food consisted of wagon wheels and curly whirlies and butterscotch angel delight. What you did for fun was something called a spirograph. A spirograph was a piece of plastic with another piece of plastic inside, and then you put a pencil inside the second bit of plastic and twirl for ten minutes, and then at the end of it, you had a picture of a circle. <laughs> it was fun. Etch-a-sketch, the original, the era of chopper bikes, and the classic 1970s, the space hopper. Okay. The space hopper, there was literally a decade of fun right there on your very own space hopper. All of those things, you go, I've heard of some of those things, but Scott James, are like Etch-A-Sketch, they've kind of had revivals in the last few years. 
the warm, it's comforting, it's reassuring, it's nostalgia to actually go back to another time. There's something about Christianity which many people in the society that we're living in right now kind of hold space hoppers and Jesus on a similar sort of place. It, it's a nostalgic kind of journey that you can go back to. It's a place of comfort, of reassurance. That if something really bad was to happen in, in our lives, oh, it's nice to think that there's a God who can come and help or there's angels in heaven. And there's a nostalgia that is linked to childhood belief. It's warm, it's comforting. But it's something really for the children. It's for another generation. Uh, it's quaint, it's cute. But it's certainly nothing that you base your life on. It's certainly nothing to be taken too seriously. Not really something to be considered. Not even on the radar. Most people, to be honest, in our society, most of your friends, if they're outside of a church community, are simply not interested. They don't want to consider it. And yet, we are here this morning. Deluded. We're irrelevant, harmless enough, some might say mad and dangerous. I don't know if you noticed, but there's different kind of trends that happen in different decades. So the 70s was the chopper bikes and the hoppers and flared trousers. In the 80s, uh, if you remember these things, the Rubik's Cube. Remember these? Okay. Who's got a time on the, on the have you got a 30-second timer, a countdown timer? Okay. Every, every five seconds, can you just give me a five-second count? Okay. So up to 30 seconds. Okay, so I'm going to give myself 30 seconds. Five seconds. Thanks. Ten seconds. Fifteen seconds. Twenty seconds. There you go. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea how to do a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Donkey Kong, leg warmers of the 80s. In the 90s, Teletubbies. I remember stood outside Woolworths at 4 o'clock in the morning queuing up to get my son a Teletubby. Tamagotchis and shell suits of the 90s. And then in the, the noughties, the year 2000 onwards, Turkey Twizzlers, Sunny Delight, Ugg Boots. Different things appear in different decades. Things disappear in different decades. In 2001, 74% of the population ticked the box to say that they were Christian. Ten years later, 59%, 15% of people have disappeared somewhere over the course of the decade. What was the biggest change that was taking place? It wasn't the fact that other faiths were coming into this nation. It's just that a new box appeared on the survey to said no particular religion. And that has become the largest group emerging. Just none. I, I don't have any religious affiliation, abandoning belief, don't want to wear the label. Marcus Mumford, uh, lead singer of Mumford & Sons, the son of uh, the Mumfords who up to very recently actually led the vineyard movement within the UK. So the lead of singer of Mumford & Sons said this, are you a Christian? I don't really like the word. It becomes me so much baggage. So no, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. 
I think the word just conjures up all these religious images that I don't really like. I have my personal views of Jesus and who he was, but I've separated myself from the culture of Christianity. That sums up a lot of current thinking. Spirituality, people go, okay, yes. To God, maybe. To religion, no. To seeking, not really. Different trends have happened within church life. Some of you will think back to the days back in, oh, many, you know, way before me, it was like 1950s, a man called Billy Graham would come across into this country, would take over football stadiums, would stand in a football stadium, would preach, and tens of thousands of people would be responding at the end. That's what we need to do. We need to fill football stadiums and just preach the gospel. It's a different era. About 30 or 40 years later than that, church trends started to change because people were disengaging and disillusioned with church. So let's start to restyle church in order to connect with Jesus and the seeker-friendly churches emerged. Uh, Strong supporters, places like Willow Creek. Let's do church better. If we do church better, it will attract the people who have got disheartened by church. They will come back. We can introduce them to Jesus. It's good. And it's actually had a massive impact upon many people's lives. But then a decade or so later, people have actually even stopped seeking. And so the stadiums and the seeker churches need to adapt, need to adopt a different sort of strategy because things have changed. People are not really thinking about religion. It's not that they're not rejecting it, they're just not thinking, they just don't care. Through the decades, you have classic films. So the 1970s era was launched, you've got films like Star Wars. In the 80s, I think E.T. came out. And, but actually in the 90s, one of the worst films that was ever made was a film called The Perfect Storm. I think Titanic probably featured in there as well. But The Perfect Storm, if a boat sinks, it's bad news. Okay, Perfect Storm, and it was this true story based on the coast of Massachusetts. There was a hurricane that was coming in from the Great Lakes. There was a frontal system that was coming through New England, which was forming, and they said, 100-foot waves. And hundreds of people actually genuinely lost their life as a result of this. As a result. And, and they termed this phrase, it's a perfect storm. What is in, happening in our society right now is, is kind of like a perfect storm is, is forming. So you've got, uh, okay, imagine I'm here. Okay, Jill, can you come and just stand alongside me over here so you are disappointed with bigotry and hypocrisy within the, okay, you are hypocrisy. You, you don't like hypocrisy. So you stand there. You go, no, I don't like hypocrisy. Seb, okay, you, you're coming in behind me. You're blocking me in behind me. You are the post-Christian era. Okay, you are, people's memory of the gospel is just becoming non-existent. Vince, can you come in and you are going to be increasing secularization. Okay, can you see what's happening here? So we've got Jill over here who is, uh, what are you? You are disappointed with what is happening within churches because of the hypocrisy. You are post-Christian era. Uh, Over here you are the increasing secularization who are trying to erase Christianity out. Then who who else have have we got as a volunteer? I'm going to leave you for a moment. And uh, Charlie, Charlie visiting in, okay, so Charlie, you are going to be privatization, okay, keep your, fa- you can stand there, okay, you stand there, okay, you are towards me, face me, sorry, <laughs> I apologize, but privatization, keep your faith to yourself, okay, you can have your faith, but we just don't want it to come into any public life 
anywhere. Jenny, can you, how are you going to be pluralization within society? Lots of choice that is taking place. Okay, massive smorgasbord of beliefs and understanding and attitudes and opinions. And, uh, and it's up to you. Okay, and then we've got Jez who's coming in here. The church's failure, you stand in front of me, the church's failure to preach the bigness of God. So what I've got all around me, I'm standing here it's trying to be a Christian. I've got Jez coming at me. I've got Jenny coming at me. I've got Charlie coming out. Vince coming at me. I've got Seb coming out. Jill coming at me. This aggressive bunch of people. <laughs> and what we've got is this emergence of this perfect storm, which is making me kind of like get overwhelmed by what's going on. Thank you for your brilliant representation of all those characteristics. See, they're all coming at me. And this, you know, the journey when she was stood here, there's this, this pluralization, this staggering number of ideologies and options, multiple choice, multiple options. So you go to the cinema. Back in the day, it used to be there was one movie on at the cinema. But now you go to a multiplex where you can choose 14 different films at multiple times in what, you know, 2D, 3D versions. Choice is there. And with that choice comes parity. So if someone has a belief in Christianity, it, in the 2011 survey, uh, I'll just get the exact, 418 people in Eastbourne ticked the box to say that they were a Jedi Knight. Okay? That, that is what their belief was. I'm a Jedi Knight. And 59,000 people ticked the box to say that they were Christian in Eastbourne because Eastbourne absolutely mirrored what was happening nationally. 59,000 ticked a box to whatever description that is to be a Christian, but 421, 18, 418 people said they were Jedi Knights. But there's parity within that. You are absolutely entitled to believe and think that, as long as you allow me to think this. So we have a man on, in Eastbourne at the moment who's doing the Alpha course, and they were discussing that kind of like story with Jesus walking on the water. And he said, it's simple. It was, it was, it, Jesus, I genuinely believe Jesus was an alien. He had a jetpack on his back, and that's how he did it. But that's as legitimate as a Christian saying, he's the son of God, and so therefore he has the power to walk on water. But with that parity, oh, yes, put the Rubik's Cube down. Okay, with the... Can you actually do the Rubik's Cube? Okay, so you're just fiddling then. Okay, you're fiddling. Is anyone can do the Rubik's Cube? Oh, okay, that's disappointing. So the, the, the parity... Uh, lost my thought now. That's okay. Jedi's. Okay. Is that with all that choices, it actually allows people to go, do you know what? That's what you think. That's what I think. I'm defining what I believe, uh, and you've got to accept that. You define what you believe. But also with that, what is true and what is false is what is what is right and what is wrong. Because you're defining what is right and wrong in terms of what you believe. I'm defining what is right and wrong in terms of what I believe. So I'm now redefining sin as life choice. So what was considered as lust has now become sensuality. What was anger is now being honest with your emotions. What was once seen as an apology is, I'm sorry if you were offended by what I said. It's not saying sorry for what I've done. It's, I'm sorry that I offended you in such a way, which translates to, uh, I'm sorry you're not big enough to or mature enough to understand, to handle it. See, morality becomes a personal choice. It's subjective. Morals become an individual's opinion. So in on all of this, we've got privatization, secularization. You've got disappointment, hypocrisy of the Christian church. You've got the church's failure. You've got all of this coming in. And so what has happened is that people just go, I don't really want to engage with Christianity. 
1989, there was a film that was made called The Field of Dreams, based on the story of a baseball stadium. And, and the line was, build the stadium and people will come. And sometimes people have this kind of feel that build the church in a trendy, hipster kind of way. Uh, go for a younger demographic. You haven't got your skinny jeans on. Wear skinny jeans, designer T-shirts, the noticeable tattoo sleeve. You know, all you need to serve decent coffee. That's all you need to do. And then people will come, build the church like that, and people will come, and it's just simply an, it's an urban myth. Now, people have already got tattoos and skinny jeans and cool music and Starbucks coffee. They don't need to come to church to get there. So what do we do? Do we just batten down the hatches and go, okay, we're in decline, let's just do all we can just to like preserve ourselves, maintain what we've got? Or do we continue to redefine the style of the beliefs or the values of the church in order to attract people? So at the end of the meeting last week, I was just saying goodbye to the bishop. A lady came up to me and she just like, she just said, I am appalled by this church. Okay, <laughs> good. And, 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 and there was something that she was I can't believe in this day and age you can actually believe that. And she was so aggressive towards me. And, and it was just a kind of really awkward and embarrassing as well because I was trying to say thanks ever so much Bishop for being here I'm just it's just awful that you in this day and age like this is a something that this church promotes and this church does and I, I can never come back here again it's like, well, partly that's a relief that you can never come back here but it's like why because she wanted me to adapt and shape because it did not fit her cultural values so what do we do in order to appease her all I needed to do was just shift in my thinking a little bit, and guess what? I would now embrace this lady into the life of the church, and she'd be quite happy. And then somebody else would come along and go, oh, I don't like what you do. Okay, that's all right, but let's just, let, let's just shift a little bit more. Let's just shift a little bit more. And before long, actually, what happens is that you're not center at all. You've just shifted all the way over to try and keep people who actually aren't going to stay anyway. Or do we go and connect with people in such a way that introduces people to this community, which in turn introduces people to Jesus? I think we have to start a different process. So if you look in the Bible into Acts chapter 2, if you're familiar, sorry, I'll just read it to you, but in Acts chapter 2, we've got one of the early church leaders called Peter. He was stood up in front of a crowd who were basically, historically, traditionally, were, were Jewish audience. And so Peter goes into this context and he says, you know about creation, you know about Adam and Eve and the fall, you know about Moses and the law, and you know about Abraham and the chosen people of Israel, you know about the prophets and the promise coming and the Messiah. So actually we don't need to waste any time of that. What we now need to do is that I want to show you that Jesus is the Messiah, you rejected him, now you're in deep trouble, now you need to repent and become Christians. That was basically the summary of Peter still in front of an already sympathetic or aware, alert audience. Jump on a few chapters. In Acts chapter 17, you've got another church leader called Paul who went into a cosmopolitan city called Athens and uh, started to speak and preach the gospel. Athens was much more of this, uh, I love the smorgasbord, this, this kind of like buffet of beliefs. Worldviews, relative truths, didn't know Abraham from an apricot. They, they just did not understand any of this so if Paul had preached the same message as Acts 2, then he's completely lost his audience, where in fact, if you read in Acts 17, he preaches a very different style of message. Into this context where there's a lot of different beliefs that were going on, and they said, okay, I have observed that there is this altar over here to the unknown God. 
Now let me explain who that is. We differ from Paul. We're different from Peter, our society. We're preaching into a post-Christian context who do know something of Christianity and they don't like it. I've separated myself from the culture of Christianity. So in Acts 2 and Acts 17, we end up in our society with a combo of the worst possible situation. But it was Paul, this early church leader, who said this when he was writing again to another cosmopolitan city, I've become all things to all men that I might save or that might win some. Do all that we can in order to engage in meaningful dialogue. So if you come along to this church here in King's Church in Seaford, this is actually now one of the largest churches in Seaford. If you're under 30, you either come here or St. Peter's in Brighton. What is God calling us to? Unless something changes within the next 40 years of Christianity will be virtually non-existent in the country, is what the Spectator article said in June of this year. They said Christianity will end in 2067. Some of you will still be alive. Okay, I will be 98, still trying to work out the Rubik's Cube, bouncing on my space hopper. But Jesus said this, I've come to bring life, thanks Jess, I've come to bring life in all its fullness, to go into the world, make disciples, make followers, make apprentices. Guess what? We're all hired. If we're into the car manufacturing company with a mandate of making more cars, you'd expect to see more cars on the road. So if that is the case, then why are we not seeing more followers of Jesus? Any church that has taken seriously the commission is not just to look at engaging with people who go to another faith or another church community and, and pull people in it, or through biological growth well done for all of you if you're having babies it's fantastic and some of you if you could start that would help some of you might go okay I've done that that is not going to happen so there's biological growth can take place. There's transfer growth that can take place. There's people who once had a faith and can return, prodigal return. Or there is people who have no background or history or knowledge or intent. They're the people that we're commissioned to go and reach. People of no history. Who would be ticking the non-box? In 1988, the same year that the King's Church began, I met the woman of my dreams. Extremely romantic. A number of years later, I said to Belinda in my very non-romantic way, <laughs> do you fancy getting married? And she went, all right then. That was it. It was rubbish. You know, I hear all these amazing stories these days of how people propose and, and the great lengths. I just went, do you fancy getting married? Yeah, all right then. That's it. But when the question came, she was ready. <laughs> Desperate? No. Ready. See, a relationship is all about process. Now, process doesn't sound very romantic, but it is about process. It's asking someone out. It's going on a date. It's developing friendship. It's growing in understanding and enjoyment and commitment. <laughs> My son posted something on Facebook. He, he said, 12 years ago, he, he just likes this. He said, 12 years ago, I asked the girl of my dreams to go on a date. 12 years later, I asked her to marry me. She said no both times. 
I just thought that was very amusing. But a relationship is about process, okay? Not romantic, asking someone out, having dates, developing a friendship, growing in understanding, enjoyment, which then leads to commitment. Popping a question comes much further down the road. Years on, Linda said, yeah. So we need to look at the process of how we win people to the idea of Jesus. Because people are not usually ready to say yes on the first date, especially when they have no interest in him. So what is the goal? What is the vision? I think the commission that every church in this land and the world would say is, yes, we understand what our, the great mission is. It is to make more followers of Jesus. So much so that their lives are completely turned around and they go in a completely different direction in life. From zero interest to fully devoted followers. It's a massive journey. I mean, it's a huge journey for someone with a church history and background, but someone with a million miles away from that, that is an even longer journey. J. John, a well-known Christian speaker in the UK, said this. He said, he often tells a story, he was talking to a woman on a plane and she asked him what he did for a living and he replied, I work for a global enterprise. We have outlets in nearly every country in the world. We have hospices and homeless shelters. We, we do marriage guidance counselling. We, we run schools and colleges and publishing houses. We look after people from birth to death and we specialise in behavioural alteration. Wow, she said, what's it called? It's called the church. Church is amazing. It's the most amazing community on earth. So I had a meeting a couple of weeks back now, Linda and myself, went to meet the chief exec of the local council and the leader of the council and the head of planning department and just to plan and think through what's the future and where we're going and, and how does Kings start to play much more of a central role in the life of community? Because I believe that's probably where we should be heading. And, uh, and they were listening in, and, but there was just a statement that was made. I just said, I believe that King's is the most diverse, the most inclusive community in the whole of this area. Or church is. Not, not exclusively about us, but we're an expression of something which is so diverse and so inclusive. Now we're going to fall short. We, 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 we're not going to be perfect. So what do we do when Kings isn't like that? When it, does, when it falls short of everything that J. John has just said. I mean, we could go away and drive away getting frustrated and disappointed or cynical or let down or critical, or we could drive towards it and do all we can in order to fulfill the very picture and the vision that Jesus was painting. The most attractive community possible. In order to be the most attractive community, because we're, we're wanting to attract people to say, come on, come on this journey. Come, come and find us. And when you found us, we need to be so appealing that people say, do you know what, I'm going to stick around. There's something about this group of people that makes me want to stick. There's something, about, I don't know what it is. So currently on the Alpha course that, we, uh, that some people are running, it's like, I, you know, I was chatting to a bloke the other day, he says, I don't know why I keep coming back. I don't believe in God. But <laughs> Sorry, that's me. So, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. I don't think I'll ever believe in God, but there's just something about being here that I just want to be with you guys. There's something that is appealing and attractive. And when he's in that environment, we can do the God stuff. We can introduce him. We can take him, continue on that journey. I just want him to stick around long enough. And in order for him to stick around long enough, we need to be so attractive and appealing that he's willing to stick around. 
Now, some of that is going to be about friendliness. I don't know any churches that say, no, we are an unfriendly church. You know, the church for everyone. We don't have a banner outside that says, church for no one, don't bother coming. Church for everyone, because of course we're friendly, but we can be a little bit guilty of being friendly towards each other or towards people that we know or people that we like or people who are like us. What about being the friendly to the people that we don't know and we don't necessarily like and they're not like us? Friendliness is actually really important. One of the uh, a church that we link with up in London, they do an, uh, an exit survey. <laughs> not on a Sunday, you have to say, let's mark the preacher out of 10. Not that sort of exit survey, thankfully. But it's an exit why they leave the church. And the number one reason why people leave that particular church is because they don't have any friends. So I want to create an environment and an atmosphere where people feel included and accepted. So where nuns come as nuns, where people living together can still come along, where people who are pregnant, unplanned, different lifestyle choices. There's a lady on our current Alpha Plus course, which is part of the journey, then go on Alpha, then on to Alpha Plus, and we're trying to connect. So, so this bit after Alpha, where people are exploration of Christianity, some people are in that environment to say, I haven't quite made up my mind about this yet, but I don't want to leave. She's in on that. She's not come to a Sunday yet. I can't come on a Sunday. And Belinda was there with her the other day. I said, why not? And she said, I just can't because I know I would feel too hypocritical coming, so I can't come. Because she has this hang-up that she has to be perfect. But I want her to know the acceptance Acceptance isn't the same as affirmation, but it is embracing. And we start where people are at. So friendliness is so important. If we're not friendly, then people, yeah. So on Alpha, we got, kind of got, look, the, the objective of week one of Alpha is to come back on week two. It's this single objective, just please come back next week. And we're going to do that by being friendly. We need to be a really friendly community. If we want to end result, <laughs> I was coming over with Seb today, we're just spending some time in the car and going back. And uh, yeah, you work in the whole area of finance and accountancy, and it says, What's the, uh, what do you say, the key product indicators? What's it? What's it? Key? key performance, sorry. Key performance indicators of the church. I went, Oh, I'm not sure anyone's actually ever asked me. The KPI of King's Church. How do we measure? Okay, actually, we did have a conversation as leaders recently. It's the key discipleship indicators. How do we measure whether we are achieving what Jesus has achieved. If you're in a business, if you're a car manufacturing or if you're house building and stuff like that, you've got indicators to say this is how many products that we've achieved building. How do we translate that into the context where lives are involved and communities involved? Well, one key indicator is whether people who have zero interest in Jesus have started the journey and coming through to say my life was absolutely million miles away, but now I'm a follower of Jesus. And we only do that if if we have an environment where people kind of want to be around us, friendliness matters. First impressions matter. To create an irresistible environment. I know, we have seven seconds to make a lasting impression. Did you know that? Seven seconds. We make judgments in the first seven seconds. So that's why Tony Witts this morning was the key man here at King's Seaford. Tony's not in here right now, is he? Is he? Tony. Key man Tony. Why? Because the sermon starts in the car park. So if Tony's there going, great to see you, first seven seconds really count. When you get on the front door, who's greeting you on the front door? It really counts, really matters. Seven seconds matter. I went to a little chef one time, and uh, we were all sat down as a family, and the lady came up to us, and she had like fingernails just covered in dirt. 
first impressions count. We've never been back to a little chef since. Now, they might have an absolute brilliant policy on washing fingernails, but this lady didn't carry it through. We've never been back to a little chef from my bad experience of dirty fingernail lady at the little chef. First impressions matter. So first impressions, friendliness, and also family. To come into an environment where people want to be, whatever the history, whatever the baggage, whatever the background, whatever the lifestyle, whatever the pregnancy, whatever the orientation, whatever the ethnicity, I want people to feel that they have come home. No longer simply guests, but family. And when we get that, that is attractional. People feeling that they've been welcomed home. So we want people to grow. We want people to, to grow in knowledge and understanding and lifestyle and great and, you know, and celebration. and It's good, but we're going to get there if we have people who are coming into an environment where they're going to stick around. And we can only get people into an environment where they stick around if they can find the way here. So that's kind of a reverse discipleship plan we've got there. But put it back into forward thinking. What we need to do is have an environment where people can find the way into a community like this. And when they're in a community like this, it's so attractive that they want to stick around. And when people are sticking around, they start to grow in relationship with God. That's planning. That's intentionality. That's thinking it through. Not very romantic. It's very intentional. And it will see lives being changed. So that is the sort of community I would love us to be. Now, a moment ago, Rob got incredibly excited. Rob, could you just grab... And, and wouldn't have done this. So what does that look like? How can I, what does that look like for us? Come and join me, please, Rob. Because I think this is the future, okay? In a moment, Steph, okay. Okay, so well done. So oh, thanks, Steph, for volunteering so well. Okay, Rob, you come over here. Steph, over here, okay. This is the future. Tandem space hoppers. Okay. How can I enthuse someone about the joy of space hoppering? I can't. It's difficult. I mean, we could just put the space hopper here and we say, come with a leaflet, come and hop to your delight. I would be really surprised if anyone comes along. What we need is someone like Rob who, as soon as he saw this, he said, yes, I want to have a go. Come on, Rob. Okay. So, okay, Rob in his enthusiasm Okay, he's now going to go, I want to go and share the joy of space hoppering to a whole new generation. Okay, so in your own time. Okay, keep going, come on, come on, come on. Okay, okay. Now, Steph, this could be highly embarrassing for you, but I do apologize, he did select you. Okay, but there's a whole new generation of people here that Steph is now going, do you know what? Oh, he's just going to get a photo on the camera out. So we're here in position now. Okay. So, yeah, don't hold on to Rob. Hold on to the handles if appropriate. Okay. Okay. So, are you ready? Go. A bit of enthusiasm towards their efforts here. Do you know what? What has happened there is a beautiful, a beautiful picture, Steph. You are now the next generation space hopper. Thank you for so volunteering so willingly. Do you know what? It's not enough. Me just standing here with a space hopper and say, hey, it's a lot of fun. Just a nostalgic thing. We need people like Rob who says, you know what? Look at the life. Look at the fun. Look at Jesus said, I come to give you life. Let me show what life's really about. Come on, hop on. Let me take you somewhere. 
Let me take you on a journey. And, and suddenly, Steph is caught up in something. And that, that's the role we're going to encourage us to be taking. So we're going to issue everyone with a tandem space. Yes, come on. I think it's the future. Translate that in. This is life. This is fun. This is what's life about. Let me introduce you to someone called Jesus. And let's take people on that space hopper journey. It's a sort of community. We're talking discipleship roadmaps. There's something that we don't, we want to, people who have no interest, no desire, no knowledge. Actually, we want to take all the way through to go to you know what? absolute relevance. It would change your life. Your life will be totally transformed. You want to know what life's about, life in all its fullness. Come on this journey with me. And that's where we'll take people. Help them to find us. Once they've found us, let us be the most sticky community possible. So people just, even if they believe what we believe or not, just don't want to be away from us. Because there's something so positive, so encouraging, so life-affirming, so generous, so real and authentic, so, so encouraging. But actually, I want to be a part of this, whether I believe it or not. And when they're then part of it, let us tell you about the one who's changed our life. His name, Jesus. Let's become all things to all men and to all women that we might win some. And that's the journey that we're heading on. We'll just pray. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. Ooh. <laughs> some have gone that way, some have gone that way. And some of you stayed where you are. Thank you. So, Father, we, we read this commission that says, go into the world and make disciples. And uh, that isn't just about having more children or whatever and trying to bring them up in the life of church. And it isn't about just trying to grab others from other communities, churches. Lord, we do want to take seriously the commission. In fact, the instruction commands that you gave, which said, go into the whole world. Make followers, apprentices, disciples of Jesus. I pray that you help us. Help us to be people who are enthusiastic, joy-filled about the impact of the gospel. How we're enthusiastic about saying, come on, give this a go. It's fantastic news. But then I also pray that we'll be a community that when people do find us, that we'll be so friendly, that we'll give out the best impressions, genuinely, and also that the people will feel that they're part of the family where they've been welcomed home. And Lord, when we get those bits right, I pray then that we'll help people to go on this amazing journey into relationship with you. God, I pray for that. Help us in this. Help us to work at it. Help us to get it right. Define and refine us where we need to. But I pray that we'll all play a part in making disciples. We ask it in Jesus' name.